Two Guys Talking Nostalgia Engine is here. And we need your help. Two Guys Talking has begun stockpiling reviews of great, classic movies, and we want to know what you want us to review. Access twoguystalking.com now and tell us which classic movies on DVD and Blu-ray we should put into the Two Guys Talking Perspective Review crosshairs and help us fuel the internet's best repository for engaging, nostalgic feature film reviews. Access twoguystalking.com and click any one of the Nostalgia Engine pictures. Tell us which movies you want right now. Action, horror, comedies, even the occasional rom-com. Access to guystalking.com. That's the number two, guystalking.com. The Nostalgia Engine. Ride in nostalgic style while you listen. Twoguystalking.com. Two Guys Talking is an internet radio show providing you with entertainment, a sharing of viewpoints, and fun. Join us as we venture into the world of entertainment and discuss a variety of topics, from television shows, DVDs, feature films, and more. This week, Two Guys Talking, Pirates of the Caribbean, Cars of the Black Pearl. Pirates. They come in many shapes and sizes. They've appeared in comic books, storybooks, Costumes of all kinds throughout the ages that allow everyone to see the eye patches, the leather straps, the boots, the almighty snarls, wooden peg legs, coins, daggers, golden plastic ships, and, well, it never ends, does it? (laughs) What we've loved about pirates over the years is that they've had a completely different connotation here in 2011. The news provides us pictures that we never want to see. The picture that was provided was the Pirates of the Caribbean, the Curse of the Black Pearl. The Two Guys Talking podcast has visited Pirates of the Caribbean, a dead man's chest, then at World's End. Each of them has earned gold doubloons galore and continue to be one of our biggest, largest continual downloads to date. Today, we welcome the Pirate Media Group members, Gail Gallagher and Wyatt Weed, to jump into the Two Guys Talking perspective review of the original Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl, here on the Two Guys Talking podcast. Greetings, everybody. I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. I'm David Carit, your other host. I'm Wyatt Weed, uh, hopefully filmmaker extraordinary. Another super-duper filmmaker extraordinaire. And And I'm Gail Gallagher. And it's great to have you guys. For those that aren't familiar with the Pirate Media Group, they are a group of filmmakers, but also producers of film here in St. Louis. I've asked them to join us because of their awesome name for this review. Uh, Tell us a little bit about Pirate Media Group. Well, Pirate Media Group is an offshoot of Pirate Pictures. Mm -hmm. Pirate Pictures has been around since about 2001 Mm -hmm. and has produced a couple of feature films. But it was uh, in 2009, early 2010, that we got so disgusted with the distribution that's out there mm-hmm. that we decided we couldn't possibly do a worse job of distributing our own films. Right. So, and you're actually talking about the process of distributing film, yes, right? Okay. Yeah, the actual okay. nitty-gritty of getting the DVDs. Uh, it's another reason there, why right? I brought you on, because yeah. I think it's a completely alien realm to everybody that, oh, yeah, let's go get a DVD. They have no idea right. the process that's in that. 
Well, and unfortunately, a lot of filmmakers don't know the process either. I right. mean, a lot of filmmakers just want to make films. They want right. to do the fun part. And when it comes to the distribution, they just want to move on and make another film. And I right. understand it because, to be blunt, distribution sucks. Yeah. It's no fun. Business is no fun. Contracts, percentages, it's no fun. Right. But you're a much stronger filmmaker and it's much more empowering when you know these things and you can protect yourself and you can know what's happening to your film and have some clue of what's about to take place. So so Pirate Media Group was sort of a necessity. Yeah. And we had to form this company to get our films out there and keep them protected. Uh, so, I, 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 I love that. we're also helping other independent yes. filmmakers get mm-hmm. theirs out there. All the stuff that we've learned from the horrible process of distribution, we want to share that with other filmmakers so sure. that they don't have to get burned on, I, on the distribution I, I, I tell everyone that I meet and that I speak in front of that ensuring that you know lots of information and the stuff you don't know, you know where to go to get, yep. will empower you and drive your business. Yep. So a, a, a wonderful tool. And where can people find more uh, about both of your efforts? Pirate-media.net is the Pirate Media Group website, okay. mm-hmm. and then piratepictures.net Great. is our production site. Great. And we'll then- link both of those up to the show notes for sure. And please, all of you, especially you filmmakers, and there are plenty that listen to our podcast that are filmmakers or know someone that is one, please share all of this information because that's why we're here. It's not just to talk about movies and what we think about them. It's to share information and have something extra. So with that, let's get straight to the Two Guys Talking Perspective review of Pirates of the Caribbean curse of the black pearl here on the two guys talking podcast sponsored by ability interpreting the sax group acoustica's mixed craft recording software and sprints relay missouri two guys talking pirates of the caribbean curse of the black pearl ah, hype all right wyatt what did you think about this film uh, the the hype specifically of the film so you heard oh pirates is coming in well, no, interestingly enough, my perspective, I have to admit, I've seen Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl probably three or four times now in its entirety. Sure. I admit I did not see it in the theaters. Okay, I caught it sure. on DVD. Sure, you know, fair enough. months afterwards. Sure. Um, I have a theory about pirates. I'm going to just, I'm just going to throw this out there right here at the top of the, top of the review. Sure. I have a theory that that summer, well, every summer. Since the mid-70s, mm-hmm. there's been big summer releases. Yeah. There's like the summer movie. In 2003, I didn't think things were going all that well. I mean, early in May, you had the second X-Men film. And that mm-hmm. did good. But mm-hmm. It's an X-Men film. Mm-hmm. They knew it was going to do well. Sure. And then you Which, got to... by the way, there's a perspective review of that film okay. as well on our network. There's The Matrix Reloaded. And mm-hmm. everybody, I think, kind of scratched their heads at that one. It made yep. a lot of money. But they were kind of... A lot of people were dumbfounded after the first film. It was a money wheelhouse, for sure. Finding Nemo had hit in late May. And that mm-hmm. was sort of the family film. Mm-hmm. Also, that summer, you had... Terminator 3, mm-hmm. which yeah. made some money, but was eh, kind of left everyone cold. Mm-hmm. And I think everyone that summer was desperate for the summer film. Like yeah. It hadn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. And I think when Pirates came out, everybody just said, okay, this is the best thing we're going to get this summer. This is the warmest and friendliest and most entertaining thing we've got. This is the summer film. And I think that in any other year, whereas I enjoyed Pirates, it might have gotten covered over by better films. I think in a heavy awards season, like mm-hmm. if that film had come out against a Titanic sure. or something, if it had come out against a Jurassic Park, I think it would have gotten trounced. Sure. I think it came out in a weak summer with some disappointing films, and everybody flocked to it. Sure. You remember an old film from the 80s with Tom Selleck called High Road to China? I do indeed remember that movie. Okay, High Road to China. And I'm even going to go out on a limb here and say the original uh, Romancing the Stone. Sure. Yep, I'm there. Those were entertaining films, but they weren't brilliant. Right. Right. And I think you were in a time frame there where, like, 
people had seen Raiders of the Lost Ark and they were waiting for the next Indiana Jones film and they were so desperate for a fix, mm -hmm. they latched onto lesser films. I think that's exactly what Pirate, Pirates was. There's Interesting. a lot of good about Pirates, but I think Pirates would have fared much less well in a in a stronger film environment. Interesting. Gail? I, on the other hand, I don't know if it's if it's the girly side or mm -hmm. what, but mm -hmm. I got sucked into the hype. Okay. Rewatching the film the other night, the the scene with the skeletons walking across the ocean bottom. It was like mm -hmm. I remembered that that foot that hits the ground and mm -hmm. remember that as part of the trailer. Sure. And, I mean, that was all it took for me was, oh, my God, how cool does yeah, that look? Pirates I, trailers, without question, were some of the best and, in, in in recent years because it didn't give you give away everything. You knew there were going to be pirates. Yeah. You knew Johnny Depp was in the movie, but it didn't give away the entire bag of everything because there's so much in the film. Exactly. You asked about the hype and... I didn't really answer that question. <laughs> the hype, though, to me, by the time I got to the film on DVD, I mm -hmm. went, really? This is what you all got so nutty about over the summer? Sure. I, I totally see that. I and totally see that. In perspective, over the last few years, I've gone, well, it is, it is an entertaining film. I do like the film. But yeah, by the time I actually sat down and watched it, mm -hmm. I, was, I was a little disappointed. Sure. So. David? I remember when uh, I first heard that they were going to make this movie, my, my first thought was I flash back to 1978 when I went to Disney World as a young man, <laughs> yeah. and I, I went on the Pirates of the Caribbean ride, and I'm like, um, really? A, a Pirates of the Caribbean movie? I, am I going to get a teacup ride movie next? <laughs> I, I was and a, a teacup little, movie. I, yeah, I was a little non. I was a little non by it. I, I thought that they were Disney was grasping at straws. Quite frankly, the uh, I think the end of Touchstone Pictures uh, sort of I thought spelled the end of Disney's adult fare or you know big blockbuster mm -hmm. movies like that. Mm -hmm. So I, I thought that they were that it was going to be a very hokey children's film, and then. I heard Johnny Depp was attached to it and Gore Ver Verbinski, and I began to give a little bit of hope to what yeah. it was they were trying to do. Yeah, I remember prior to seeing some of the trailers, or right around the time the trailers were starting to come out, the talk that uh, Captain Jack was loosely based on Keith Richards, and then my impression started to turn, is this going to be a broad comedy? I got a whole different spectrum from where I thought they were going with the film to where the film ended up being. I, the hype for this film, for me, I think I took the wrong picture of it from the very beginning, and then when those trailers started to come in and there were zombies in it, I'm like, so it's a pirate zombie <laughs> comedy tour de force by Johnny Depp? I, and right, start right, right, right. With I, the co-star of the, the elf from yeah. Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah. Our, okay. The, the, the hype of this one for me was not huge, and it's because I'm not a... Johnny Depp fan in general. I, I think I'm, I'm one of the few guys that really, I don't care for Johnny Depp. I liked Johnny Depp when he was back in 21 Jump Street. I loved him <laughs> as Edward Scissorhands. And since then, eh, you know, oh, Johnny Depp. Okay. Not nearly the draw f that I think a lot of other people have for Johnny Depp. He's hit and miss for me. I think occasionally he comes out with just a, a groundbreaking performance. And then yeah. a lot of it is very similar. It's like Johnny Depp. It's going to be quirky. Yeah. Well, it, uh, sure. I anticipated quirk He's, here, mostly yeah. because of the, the subject matter. I knew we were going to get something that we probably hadn't seen, which I totally have to give this that to his character in this. There's... As I understand it, um, Disney was very nervous about some of the things he wanted to do. Sure. Yeah. When he told them, I'm going to do it like Keith Richards, and right. I'm going to have gold teeth in my mouth, and blah, yeah. blah, blah, and I'm going to have braids and tattoos and stuff. They freaked out a yeah. little. Yeah. Well, Johnny yeah. Depp's like a handsome leading man that's going to get all the girls in the theater. We're going to muck him up, right? So, like, a I think they, I, I, they literally I think went in and negotiated the number of gold things that yeah. he can have. have. Yeah. And yeah, sure. It was crazy. Yeah, I, what, what I really liked about that was that he was willing to do that. Yeah. It isn't oh, that he just, didn't want to just shiny. Be a pretty boy? Yeah. 
It isn't shiny, long-haired Johnny Depp standing on the bow of a ship doing the, the waiting for waiting for something to happen pose. No, the other yes. guy had that, right? Right, right. right. Orlando right. Bloom had, Orlando that, Bloom had that. And so I, I, that got me. That got me, and then the good trailers got me. So the hype definitely bowled over Mike Wilkerson of Two Guys Talking. Two Guys Talking. Pirates of the Caribbean. Cars of the Black Pearl. The money. All right, David. As usual, I'm going to start with you on numbers because, of course, you suck at numbers. Excellent. So uh, just a general guess domestically. Do you have any idea what this has taken in after all this time? Um, domestically, uh, I, I'm going to go and say the movie made $180 million domestically. Okay, good I'm, guess. Nowhere near. I'm going to guess just around, I can't remember if it's under or over, around $300 million okay. domestically. Okay, No clue. No idea. Okay. <laughs> Made domestically, $305 million. Oh, 305 and a half. That close. Again, giant corn combines of cash, <laughs> which, for those of you that are curious, the vast majority of our reviews that we like to go back and review, especially in perspective reviews, they usually are giant corn combines of cash. Whether or not we like them or not is a total question mark. But that's one of the absolute factors. And you know what? I'm a fan of, I'm a fan of box office. And before you laugh at that comment... Um, I worked in Los Angeles with a lot of artsy, fartsy filmmaker types who went, <laughs> yeah. you know, I don't really care about box office. Box office is... No, the only thing you have is box office. Right. I'm sorry. Whether it's an art film or it's a big action adventure studio film, box office says people got up out of their chairs and went to the theater and saw your saw movie. Saw movie. If, you know, 100 million people in the United States see your movie and it makes a billion dollars, that is a sign of success. Right. So I'm all about box office. I think sure. sometimes movies make money that I don't feel deserved it, mm -hmm. but, you know, yeah, box office is king. If you don't have box office, you don't have anything. A absolutely. So. The, the foreign take, David, care to scratch again? Sure. Um, I will readjust my previous position and I will say $200 million. $200 million? Okay. Nope. Gail? I'm going to say 201. 201. <laughs> bum, 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 boom. What? Uh, you're dealing with a freak of numbers here and a freak of box office. You're talking <laughs> about a guy who spent years studying the box office charts. I'm going to guess about 375 million foreign. You're over. Okay. You're over. So it's 300, uh, $349 million uh, overseas foreign. And so, so, so the together. Price is right, I win. That's right. You, it, it, right. you would be right. In fact, you're going to win because, of course, David will never win that. No, I will not. And you were over. So you Wyatt. win. Wyatt is apparently the it's a, it's a new car. Yeah. <laughs> the, the entire take for it was $654,264,000. Giant corn combines of cash. And, of course, that's what made an instant green light for the sequel. Yes. Uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about sequels when we get to the franchise of this. But again, giant money for a giant movie that continues and will again make giant money here in another month. Two guys talking. Pirates of the Caribbean. Cars of the Black Pearl. Good. Good, good old-fashioned entertainment. It is old-fashioned entertainment. I think sure. ultimately that's what and one audience is over. It's a good old fat throwback to like a swashbuckling Errol Flynn film. It screamed Errol Flynn, which is why I love I, I love watching this Pirates because I wasn't swathed over with all kinds of other stuff that eventually came in the other films. But it was good. You're absolutely right that it was that good old fashioned wow look at this movie. It opens up with that super creepy actually. And then it stumbles into oh my god, I'm inside of an Errol Flynn film. 
And then it, it, you said super creepy. It is surprising to me at times how violent and suggestive the film gets, and yeah. also well. You, you'll, you'll laugh. Yeah. I, I had trouble sitting down, allowing my seven-year-old to watch it with yes. me. I'm like, okay, yeah. does she is she going to get it or is she not going to get it? And so we did, and she got it. There yeah. wasn't any horrifying parts, and I preface it with that. There's a couple of scary parts, but I'm sitting right here. Well, no what were we talking about the other night? There's no blood. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of people getting stabbed with, with stuff. Swords, I'm not a big fan of the MPAA because you can yeah. do things like – I've run afoul of the MPAA. <laughs> and you can do things like shoot somebody point blank in the face with a musket, but as long as you don't show the musket fire and the head in the same shot and as long as you don't show any blood you can get away with that you can show a sword sticking out of somebody but as long as you didn't show it going into them and you're not showing blood dripping off of the sword when it is sticking out of them. interesting or you can do things like chop the head off of a zombie character without blood and that's okay and these but, are all what? These are PG-13. Yeah, then. this is all PG-13 yeah. stuff they did in the film. And I, I don't begrudge it. It's PG-13 rating. It just means a lot of films get R ratings that shouldn't. Uh, I but. think that the PG-13 was a complete cop-out, that they used to make movies that were for adults. Yes. And they were very good, and they had all the things in it that were delicious and yummy. And they used to make children uh, movies for young adults and children and movies for everybody. Yeah. And, and that was magnificent because... When you wanted to make a movie like the original Alien, for instance, which yeah. was a hard R movie yes. from the late very, 70s, very hard. Mm -hmm. that movie was, it, it, they were allowed, the filmmakers were allowed to do everything they were going to do, and they knew that they were going to get box office out of it because uh, R movies were things that people went and saw. Now you could make, uh, you could, can completely compromise the integrity of what you're doing because you want to put an extra million or two people in the seats so you cut out a lot of yeah. things to get the pg-13 rating which is a cop-out it's right. funny that you're you're talking about lopping off heads and it being okay in in many different cases yeah. i totally agree with your first point where it's old-fashioned entertainment it gives a flavor as a couple of new things on but doesn't get outside of the scope of yeah a really great old-fashioned flavor two guys talking pirates of the caribbean cars of the black park Johnny Depp. Yeah. I just I yep. loved that that he did do the the Keith Richards that he was very quirky and fun and and that it wasn't just pretty boy Johnny Depp. It was absolutely something right. I know I'd never seen because I, I other than knowing that Keith Richards is incredibly old and that he smokes all the time and he is in the Rolling Stones, I don't know anything about Keith Richards. Keith Richards is a genius. Ask me that <laughs> question later, and I'll tell you that story. <laughs> I, I, you're absolutely right. I, this is the movie that made me understand way more about Johnny Depp than I had previously, and it made me go back and start watching more of his films. Uh, again, very often Johnny Depp would be in almost, ah. There was a Stephen King film that he was in, uh, something window, Secret Window. Mm, yeah. And I and really was... like going back to that because, again, you get the quirky performance of someone who is an actor. Yes. The story, eh, it, it was weak. The acting, I didn't think was weak in that at all. Well, and I think that, that Johnny Depp, I really do think that he's kind of a versatile actor. That, oh, yeah. yeah, you're going to get quirky, but I think especially with, with the Jack Sparrow character, that became the, the pirate franchise. Yeah, that, yeah you know, absolutely. You can't kill that guy off. That's... Yeah. I, and I think to, to follow the, the coattails of Johnny Depp. Two guys talking. Pirates of the Caribbean. Cars of the Black Park. Jack Sparrow. When a pirate could be a total one-line paradigm, he's done something completely different That's with true. the uh, the accent and the attitude and the 
those of you watching on Two Guys Talking TV at twoguystalking.com forward slash TV can see what I'm doing with my hands. All of that, all little aphorisms and the, the well, quirks. And, and the get to the point within the first film of parodying, making parodies, fun of him yes. because Orlando Bloom's character yeah, says to the other guy, how did he get so? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? right. So yeah, even within the course of the first film, it yeah. became a and Again, I think that's one of the golden things about characters and actors that they can lure me back in, even if the actor's kind of a jackass, flippant ass. They can get me back with a performance, and Johnny Depp did it immaculately here with Jack Sparrow. Yeah, there's loved a, it. There's a bit in the movie, and they once again they sort of uh, the movie itself talks about it, where they refer to him as the worst pirate ever, yeah. and then by the end of that small bit of film, they're like, "Well, that's the best pirate ever." Yeah. It's not just a testimony to the fact that it was a well-written, well-directed film. Uh, Johnny Depp has the range even in something kind of it's kind of small and it's kind of boxed in the the character of he's a pirate and he's a quirky pirate but he you know he's a pirate at the end of the glory days of piracy that he manages to get this uh, misleading thing about him it's almost as if you begin to wonder if the character of jack sparrow does all the quirkiness things just to throw his enemies off so it's sort of a, a nuanced performance yeah. and kind of a wacky role. Well, I think, too, what you find about that character of Jack Sparrow is that, yes, he's a pirate through and through, but really he's a good person. So you've got... I, I think we'll talk about that, because, in fact, I know in the bads we'll actually get to that for sure. Okay. Two guys talking. Pirates of the Caribbean. Curse of the Black Pearl. The plan. The plan. I usually complain about, really, that was your plan. When we usually it's in the bad section, it, of it's in the reviews. meat. Yeah. You, you get to the meat of the movie, and I literally he and I will be sitting next to each other. He doesn't even have to say anything anymore. I'll look at him and go, "Plan, right? No, right, no. the plan. Yeah, uh, your that was your plan, really. That you've orchestrated this entire massive thing for that. That, that was your scheme the whole time. <laughs> and so it is often, you know, the that is my problem with a lot of films and and a lot of characters in films and to pick on one of again one of our best downloads and it's because i think it's because we railed on it so so immaculately terminator salvation skynet's plan is to make a terminator yeah. with a real heart really that that's your plan, plan. <laughs> really? Are, it's okay it's a film convention now it's a film <laughs> cliche to have people who are so intelligent so well planned out or just so the, the brilliant plan has been hatched <laughs> from the get-go. I love, and I love to make fun of, uh, the Da Vinci Code, the yeah. Tom Hanks yeah. uh, films that have been made from... Uh, Ron Howard directing. Yeah, good stuff. David yeah. Brown, is that the author? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brown. Dan, Dan Brown. Brown. Dan Brown. Dan Brown's books. Because here are people who are so masterfully intelligent, who are so incredibly brilliant, that they can figure out anything. You can drop a toothpick and a piece of paper on the floor, and these guys will figure out what Da Vinci meant right, centuries yeah. ago. And you're, you're sitting there in a theater, and you either buy it or you don't. And you're going, yeah. oh, come on. You, yeah. you extrapolated all of that. But, yeah, in the similar uh, very, very much in the yeah. same vein. Most of the time I have a problem with the plan because it is it is usually very weak and, like, you know. Human heart in a Terminator. Or, or I'm going to take my... 1,000 digital soldiers with frisbees and sticks and march them out of the computer and into downtown L.A. and take over the world. So, Legacy, um, which, by the way, you can also listen to a review, which was immaculately great with kind of poor results Yeah, yeah. Uh, as well. So uh, in this, though, the plans were all 
magnificent. Everybody's Wonderful plan, Everybody's plans were actually believable. I, I honestly believed that the zombie pirates really had a plan, that they were really doing something. They, they wanted that goddamn last coin so that they could free themselves from this curse. And I also believe that Johnny Depp's plan from the very get-go was to regain his ship, that that's what he was going to do, and he had a plan to do it. Um, and he was going to use uh, Orlando Bloom's character. He was going to use Kira Knightley's character. Whatever it took through and through. Totally. Whatever it took Absolutely. through and through. And ultimately the plans made sense. It wasn't... And isn't it interesting that the only real plan that Kira Knightley and Orlando Bloom's characters had all along was just to, to have hook up? sex? <laughs> right. Yeah, well, absolutely. Literally. Literally, yeah. It's like, <laughs> we have a lot of viewers that, or listeners that would like to have sex with Kira Knightley. So, or Orlando, Orlando Bloom. Bloom. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like from the get-go, she thought he was adorable. She didn't want him to be accused of being a pirate, so she grabs a medallion off of his neck to protect him. And then he's been in love with her all along. She gets taken. He has to go after her because he. Lo- their whole thing was love. Yeah, That's sure. Let's get together. Which is which is an understandable plan, actually. Yeah, everybody yeah. else had some sort of great mechanization Line. Yeah. to yeah. get schemes to the thing. and yeah. 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 I guess it is all about love. If you want to say Johnny Depp loved his ship, sure. You know, it's well, Johnny Depp, pirates love Jack Sparrow. Jack Sparrow loves Jack Sparrow loves being a pirate, right. and you can't be a pirate without a ship. Sure. And I think that's well, the compass, the magic compass, right. which was an interesting little plot device that worked out amazingly well enough it drew you to what your heart wanted most and through the vast majority of that film it was his ship he always knew where he was going because i can't be a pirate without a ship and that is my ship yeah two guys talking pirates of the caribbean cars of the black Pearl. the effects this is one of the movies in that year, 2003, that not only set the bar, but elevated the bar significantly for special effects. All of the zombie pirate-ness, all of it, was immaculate. You look at, you look at anything, and the, the Blu-ray is what really prompted this review now, as well as the movie that's coming out. But I got the Blu-ray of this film, and it is immaculate. It, it, it is ultra-crisp. The sound is unbelievable. You are. I love submersion filmmaking. I love it when they go. Okay, now we're going to do a pirate movie, and you're on the boat. And I will say the pirate films—they're all beautiful. Some of them are a little, little clogged up, which we'll talk about, I'm sure. But mm-hmm. they're gorgeous. They're, yeah, they're beautifully shot. The effects are gorgeous. Rewatching the film again recently, I kind of felt a couple of times like the effects got almost to that demo point where, like. Let's see if we can have them roll in and out of moonlight. And as they're rolling down a hill in and out of moonlight, they're going to change from human to skeleton and back to human again. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that. I'll agree with that. kind of show-stopping moments. Uh, especially at the end. Especially at the end. And the, the piles the of gold and, and the, the fight. started the effects, yeah. which you're never supposed to do. Right. But then again, that's part of big studio filmmaking entertainment. Sure, is they give you something you've never seen before. What I've, also started seeing, what I've also started seeing in films, and Michael Bay's Transformers 2 was a... Perfect, sad sample of it. The last stuff that they're doing, I don't know if filmmakers, maybe you guys can help, but did they get towards the end and they go, okay, we know this is our big giant fight, but we don't have the money, so just do it. Does it work that way in filmmaking, or is that the one that you want to be, if you know, to plan, get the gold, so if, to speak? If your plan is bad, if your, if your original production plan was bad, mm-hmm. I will say for a lot of filmmakers, there is a kind of a, 
you work a schedule and you shoot the film right. and you tend to get to the climax of the film towards the end of the schedule. Right. And more often than not, you start running out of time and money. Right. Smart filmmakers, several filmmakers I've known, will shoot for a few weeks, get their bearings, get the crew oil. Literally look at the compass, yeah. Then yeah. they'll spend like the middle portion of the film schedule shooting the big stuff and then they'll finish up what they can. Um, Peter Jackson, when he did King Kong, mm -hmm. the first thing they started developing, like when he got the green light, they started developing the fight at the top of uh, the Empire the tower, Building right. at the mm -hmm. end of the film. They yeah. started going into development. I think that was like the first thing they tested was let's do the battle on top of the Empire Well, State that makes Building. sense because yeah, if you can't pull that off, then that's what the are you whole, doing? That's the whole nugget right there. But yeah, I do think filmmakers occasionally fall into this trap where... They didn't plan for the ending. They didn't save enough time and money. And, yeah. I'm sorry, One thing ahead. that was interesting for me about the effects was that we were watching it the other day, and it wasn't until the very end when they're they're fighting in the piles of gold and the, the pirates are going in and out of the, the moonlight and switching back and forth between mm -hmm. skeletons and, and human. It was then that I made the comment about, oh, my God, that's, that's so cool how seamlessly they're doing that. But why it's right that... I got pulled out of the movie because I was sucked into the effects. It's the bump. The, but that's yeah. that was the end of the movie. So until that point, everything was just so right on yeah. that I wasn't pulled out of it. That it was skeletons walking across the, the ocean's bottom, and it was a real ship out there in the ocean. And yeah. The, Last fall, we had the absolute pleasure of interviewing Romeo Tarone, who is the uh, cinematographer and the director for several episodes of Dexter last season. And he's been on board uh, Dexter since the beginning as a cinematographer. And that's the one thing that he always makes a point of, especially in, in his stance it's lighting but then also direction is to never have a bump because especially in a television program because you are instantly taken out of whatever you're looking at your and effects it, shouldn't look like uh, effects exactly exactly right and th thankfully dexter doesn't have a lot of effects they have a lot of effects in that look ahead <laughs> they have a lot of that and you know blood spray and stuff like that that all kind of needs to make sense so it's not nearly the scale that we're looking at with this film but it's he's absolutely right the instant you get to a bump you you scratch your head and go okay and the story is still moving fast enough so that you pass on through it and you're good but the more bumps that you have the more speed bumps you have the slower the audience wonders what's going on and then you wonder why you're in the movie sure, which yeah. Kind of leads into one of the, the things that I, I liked about it's not even really effects so much as it is uh, the the practical things they did the stunt work, the sword fighting, the uh, you know the the hoisting themselves up and over on lines, um, that kind of stuff. I, I think the the non effects effects the the you know the, the your basic stunt work. I think that is better in this film than the special effects they used. I think that they yeah. threw special effects budget at it because they're Disney. Yeah. It but, absolutely but hoists they, it up to they, a, they a, a grand level. Yeah, granted, it would have completely changed the movie to have left the zombies out, but mm -hmm. the strength of everything else of that film, they could easily have done that. Two guys talking. Pirates of the Caribbean. Cars of the Black Park. The film is funny. Like I think going hand in hand with Gail saying Johnny Depp and the whole Jack Sparrow thing, the film is funny. There's some great one-liners. There's some great just opportunistic moments where kind of modern moments of humor and modern pauses thrown in. But, yeah, it worked really well. I think there's some great comedy in there. The, that you mentioned comedy is fun because there's even innuendo comedy 
that isn't yeah. stupid innuendo comedy that just wafts over the heads of people it needs to waft over. <laughs> but then as you're watching it, you go, <laughs> yeah, that's that, that that is a skill set that many writers don't get at all. Uh, again, to go back and beat on Terminator Salvation. Really? Uh, you can take any of the lines that Michael Ironside delivers in that film yes. and remove them, and you'd be, a, you'd be better off with the film. And so that, that writing, I, I always keyed in on writing with 24. 24 could have been an outstanding uh, cataclysmic win for Fox, and it was not because the writers disappeared with any common sense at the end, and they needed not to. The, the whole tether was that there was at least something commonsensical about what Jack Bauer was doing. That's very well said. Two guys talking. Pirates of the Caribbean, Cars of the Black Pearl. Cast in general. The, the two funny, schluppy pirates. Wouldn't um, I a guy and chubby what's-his-name? Sure, and, yeah. you know, uh, Kira Knightley, Orlando Bloom, Jeffrey Rush... All of these people did incredibly good jobs, I thought. Is yeah. this the film that more or less brought Kira Knightley into the limelight? I had very little idea of who she was before this. I only remember her from episode one as one yeah, of she the... she gets a minus point because of being in a Star Wars <laughs> prequel trilogy film. But, but yeah, I, I think this is the first time I, yeah. I noticed yeah. Kira Knightley on the radar. Yeah, yeah. And, and she's Bend sadly it, in the Bend same Johnny... Like she was in a supporting role in Bandit like yes. Beckham, but... Yeah. That wasn't near uh, the size uh, of the she, she, too, now that she's become something bigger, she's kind of in where I was with Johnny Depp before. Eh. Oh, okay. And, and most of the fear that she's in is way too drama for me, so I just I haven't paid attention to her. Uh, but but the uh, I love the cast in this film because nobody's wasted. You don't have a wasted cast member in this. Yeah. Uh, even the, the little short guy that had a short stint on uh, the cape was good in this movie, the, the little yeah. mini guy. Yeah. Uh, he was excellent in here because he did what he needed to do and pressed on. It was great. Yeah. I think it's ironic that Zoe Saldana yeah. in this film. I, I had to blink. I yeah. this film. Yeah. I, I blinked twice and then I'm like, is that Zoe? It is. You kind of wonder that there wasn't some motivation there. Like, we're going to develop her into something else later or she's going to turn up again. Yeah. And the fact that the pirates were so adamant about a woman not being on the ship because right. it was bad luck. But yet... You had a woman she, who was kind of captaining... a woman who was a pirate. Yeah. So, yeah, I... And now she's gone on to do so many more things. Yeah. And now she's the new Uhura in the yeah. Star Trek film series. And but yeah, I kind of blinked a couple times. Yeah, I went, did too. Wow, I, did I too. didn't even remember she was in this movie. And then she's just gone in the second one. Every every single stinking <laughs> cast member that was in the first film shows up in the next two films, except, except for, her. for her. Yeah, right. No, I agree with that. I agree with that. Uh, let's take a break here on the Two Guys Talking Perspective Review of the original Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl here on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Are you tired of paying outrageous prices for proprietary office software? Is half of the budget for your new PC dedicated to buying expensive applications? Or do you simply live in fear that a multinational corporation might sue you for the thousands of dollars of unauthorized software you have on your PC? Well, fear not! Freedom Sampler is here! With Freedom Sampler, you can experience guilt-free computing for the first time, without opening your wallet. Freedom Sampler provides a full office suite, a full-featured photo editor, web browsing and email, and much more, all without any cost, and all without replacing your current operating system. Visit freedomsampler.com to download your free copy today! Freedom Sampler. Taste the freedom.
Are you afraid to answer the phone because it might be another collector calling? Do you lay in bed at night worrying about how you're going to pay your bills? Are you and your spouse arguing over the bills and the lack of finances? Do you think you're making good money but have no idea where it's going? Hi, I'm Mark Hollander, and studies indicate that 70% of families are living paycheck to paycheck. The Compass Project was specifically designed to help train families about how to properly budget their income and create the right plan to make sure their bills are paid timely. As a nationally certified Dave Ramsey counselor, we are able to step back and look at your finances objectively and provide you with no-nonsense solutions to your financial struggles. We'll work with you, creating a plan to make payments, anticipate financial needs, gradually eliminate your debt, and provide you with the peace of mind to finally get a good night's sleep. Contact us for a free consultation at 636-949-9949. That's 636-949-9949 or at budgetingyourfinances.net. That's budgetingyourfinances.net. The Sachs Group, helping consumers and small businesses since 1985. Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows has just been released. And it's time for the two guys talking Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows book report. Join Brian and Amy Sumatros as they give you the two guys talking book report goodness of this most recent soon-to-be bestseller book. Only on the Two Guys Talking podcast. Log on today and tell us what you think of the book. Check out www.twoguystalking.com. That's the number two, guystalking.com. Thanks for listening. And keep those wands at the ready. Fight Ribbon Clothing Company. Clothing and fight gear on a mission. Fight Ribbon is the original MMA clothing company built from the ground up for fighters and fans. Clothing with a purpose. The new face of cancer awareness. Fight Ribbon Clothing Company. Because what you wear matters. Visit fightribbon.com. Are you a blogger? Always wanted to be one? Are you a business that wants to add a blog to their website? Are you an existing blogger who's looking for more traffic? Then check out bloggersbug.com for the perfect solution to your blog creation needs. Access bloggersbug.com now and get bit by the blogger's bug. How? Check out bloggersbug.com for the perfect solution to your blog creation needs. Get bit by the blogger's bug. Bloggersbug.com Get bit by the blogger's bug. Get what you want with the Life on the Half Shelly podcast, only on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Everyone, welcome back to the Two Guys Talking Perspective Review of Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl, here on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Just as every movie has the goods, there's also the bad. Two Guys Talking. Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl. Wyatt, you clearly had something sticking in your craw here. Will you shiver my timbers with it? Well, although I ultimately ended up liking Pirates, it's hard to hate this film. You can't really hate Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse I agree. of the Black Pearl. Yep. But good God, is it long. It is. Yeah. I, and I'd say by as much as 45 minutes. It's a two-hour and 20-something minute mm-hmm. movie. Yeah. Um, rewatching it again recently, there's a fight scene on board the ship prior to Johnny Depp and Kira Knightley getting stranded on the island. And I can remember Gail turning to me and going, 
do they still have to get stranded on the island at this point? And I said, yeah, and there's still an end fight scene in the cave with all the gold. And she kind of sighed and went, oh, my God. So, yeah, you're, the movie ends a couple of times. The movie's about 45 minutes too long, I think. And whereas I said earlier, it's old-fashioned entertainment, mm-hmm. it is also slavish to certain old-fashioned cliches and certain old-fashioned um, ideas. I, I almost think that's done intentionally in this film, though, and, don't you? And I do, but I think maybe they took it too to, far. And to, they, they, It's like, okay, now we're going to have the sword fight. Right. And they're going to have that sword fight, and there's going to be certain stunts in it, and they're going to do certain things a certain way because that's what this film has to have. And I and think I, that worked... Uh, better earlier on the sword fight between Orlando Bloom and and Johnny Depp in the blacksmith shop. Blacksmith yeah. shop. Uh, I think it worked really well there, but it was very tired yes. by the end of the film. By the end of the film, and then there's techniques that the film is very technique heavy. And this, I'm coming at it from a filmmaker's perspective. I love Gore Verbinski. I think mm-hmm. the guy's done great work. He does. He His does. American remake of The Ring. Yeah. People will hate me for this, but I think it was far superior to the Japanese original. I think Japanese have great ideas, but their filmmaking falls apart sometimes. But I think Gore Verbinski, Mouse Hunt. Go back and watch Mouse Hunt. What a fun visual. Inter- Mouse Hunt is probably one of my favorite soundtracks of all time. Okay. so, But I just think there are times when they said, okay, now we're going to intercut between two fights. We're going to have these guys fighting over here and these guys fighting over here. And it's slavish. It's like they laid out a plan for this movie, and they stuck to that plan. And I'm wondering if they test screened this film. I'm wondering if anybody said this movie's too long. It's just, yeah, once they decided they were going to do certain things, everything be damned. And I realize that in the sequels, a lot of the plot points and characters and details panned out, and they, they came to some fruition. In this film, though, there were just moments where the film stopped yeah. and they explained something or they went on about bootstrap or it they went on about this yeah. or that. Or, and there were so many things that in this film, um, they never said in this film a compass that points to what you want. They just said, you know, his compass doesn't point north. And they say something vague like, well, unless you're not looking for north. And that's not explained. You've got to wonder going into it, did they have a plan for the next two films or did they not? Oh, we're going to get to that in the franchise. Okay. What I wanted to chime in on your point was, though, it I, as much as I don't want to throw Johnny Depp under the bus, I'm throwing Johnny Depp under the bus on this point. Look, Johnny Depp's in the movie. We must showcase Johnny Depp in our movie. Mm. I really do think that that's where the two, uh, two hours and 25 minutes came for this film. But you're absolutely right. It's way too long. Sitting in one sitting to not do something else during your day on DVD or Blu-ray is a stretch. It's a big stretch. Two guys talking. Pirates of the Caribbean. Cars of the Black Pearl. A personal bump. As an adult, I had gone to Disney World and, of course, did the... And this was prior to the movie coming out. Mm-hmm. Had gone on the, the Pirates of the Caribbean ride and it broke down. Oh, my. So for 15 minutes, we are stuck on this ride in one spot, which happened to be the spot where the pirates are in jail and they're trying to get the dog to come over and bring them the keys mm-hmm. and they're whistling. And So for 15 minutes, that's going over and over. I'd heard when the movie was coming out then that they that, were taking actual scenes, scenes there, yeah. from the ride. So I was watching the movie and pulling myself out of it because I was looking for those oh, key the elements. Okay. Yeah, sure. so you've got the, the 
the jail scene with the dog with the keys, and then later they're looking for their 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 buddy the, and rounding up a pirate crew. So they go to the the body town, and that is a scene from the mm-hmm. ride with all the drunks out on the barrels dipping back and forth and so yeah for me it was just that because i was excited about seeing how they incorporated the storyline from the ride into Mm -hmm. the film that was kind of pulling me out of it occasionally gotcha two guys talking pirates of the caribbean cars of the black (laughs) park repetition fact that it seemed to get kind of repetitive quite frankly Uh, there was a lot of things that they did early in the film that it seemed like they did again later on Mm -hmm. uh some of this like i said earlier some of the fight sequences seemed to be the same and it it almost seemed like you know we got introduced to these characters in the first hour of the film Mm -hmm. and then the second hour of the film was them doing the exact same things that they had done in the first hour of the film (laughs) in a different location it kind of wears on you after a while. If it, Unless you are horribly invested in Jack Sparrow and you love every time he cocks his eye and every time he opens his mouth and smiles, and unless you really, really, really dig that, it, it gets old after a while. You know, good storytelling is the advancement of a character from one point of being to the next point of being, and really nobody in this movie evolved whatsoever. <laughs> they, sure. you know, two and a half hours in, and Jack Sparrow is the exact same guy he was when the movie started. You know, from his introduction of the boat sinking as he pulls into harbor and stepping off onto the dock, essentially doing the exact same thing in reverse, back out to sea in a small <laughs> boat. You know, that character did not have any kind of a journey. Orlando Bloom's character was in love with Kira Knightley when he started and was sort of the cowardly lion. He was always brave. He just kept it in check. And he's kind of the same at the end of the film, too. Kira Knightley was always the headstrong daughter of the governor. And at the end of the film, she's the headstrong daughter of the governor. I mean, The fiancé. The fiancé evolved. Yes, yes. I I would suppose. Yeah, one of the most (laughs) minor characters in the film. A bit of a protagonist, but not the main protagonist of the film as far as a foil or a device to drive the story forward. Yeah, maybe he's the only one that had any kind of a character's journey. I don't know. I kind of disagree with that because the the one thing, and maybe a question mark, Jack Sparrow gets to the end and, oh, wait a second, he's also turning into bones in the moonlight. So if not a physical transformation... He definitely had a change towards the end, although his goal throughout the entire movie was to get his boat, and at the end he does get his boat. Sure, but uh, just achieving your goal doesn't necessarily bring you on any kind of a journey. The reason he turns into bones at the end is because he knows he's not going to win a sword fight against a zombie unless he is a zombie as well. It was a means to an end. It was not an act. I don't think that the character evolved. I mean, just because he picked up the coin so he didn't die during the fight and then puts it back at the end to break the curse doesn't... He's still the same guy. Interesting. Two guys talking. Pirates of the Caribbean. Cars of the Black Park. (laughs) Sequels. I have to admit, now eight years after the film came out, that when I originally saw it, I didn't see a sequel. Yeah. I didn't. Interesting. Even even at the end, after Jack's got his arm on the wheel and he's got his compass in his hand and it's snap shut and snap the black, I, I wasn't I wasn't anticipating sequel. And believe it or not, I'm really sad that there were sequels. Was the studio anticipating a sequel? Oh, they had to have been. Now let's, looking back at it, they're, they're, I cannot imagine. I, let's quote I, the line from the character in the third film when he says, "Do you think he plans it all out?" 
Does he make it up as he goes along? Right. Yeah, you gotta wonder. Man. I, I I would say this that no modern large studio invests the money that they invested in a movie like this. I'm sure it costs more, oh, than, more uh, than eighty million dollars. That's actually make. something that we missed inside the money with the jumble of how many people we've got here today. The actual domestic or the actual production budget. Guess, David. Now that you've looked I at this, I said eighty. Okay. One hundred and three. $150 million. So they dumped a ton of money into it, and obviously they hoped they would get that money back, if not more. Well, but the fact that every single actor came back says to me that sure. they signed them all. Whether it was going to be a flop or not, they signed yeah. those people to multi-picture You must deals. come back at least one time. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. And no studio dumps this kind of money into any kind of production now without looking down the road at franchise. Right. It, I mean, there are 95, there are 95 sequels being planned wow. or in production in Hollywood at this very moment. Yeah. I was looking at a web page today. There are 95 of them. Wow. So no, nobody goes into making movies with this kind of money today and doesn't plan on the future. Now, the individual filmmaker, the, the screenwriters, Johnny Depp, uh, Gore, they probably all looked at the situation and said, let's tell a story, and if it does do huge, huge money, you know, Disney's already got everybody signed, we can do something for a second act. Uh, because one thing this movie does do is tell one story and doesn't, yes. like the second movie did, set up a third movie. So, yeah, they, I don't think they were telescoping it, but they, the money men, the, the suits, obviously, were looking at making you know, 12 of these. I, I got to the end of this film, and he snaps closed the compass, and the awesome, great. I stand up and I walk out of the theater, I'm like, hey, you know? Pretty interesting summer fair. Wow. And then, of course, less than two years later goes by. In fact, about six months goes by, and they're announcing that not only has Keith Richards uh, been the, the pinnacle model of what Johnny Depp is talking about, he's also going to be in the next film. Yeah. And this was also one of those rare cases where they said, it's com becoming more common now, but they said, well, we're going to shoot two and three back to back. Back, back to back, yeah. right. Which right. a lot of people have planned that over the years, and it's never really worked out. But in, in more modern times, like with the, with the Lord of the Rings films, mm -hmm. the Matrix, Matrix two films, and three, right. these films, shooting films back to back is actually starting to work, and it's yeah. starting to make sense. But it, it, it's yeah. something I didn't anticipate, and especially after seeing the other films and reviewing them, which you can see at twoguystalking.com, uh, go to the vault, actually. Go to twoguystalkingvault.com, and you'll see all of everything that we've ever done. Interestingly, too, for me, I have an up-and-down relationship with the sequels. After the first one and seeing it on DVD, and just the hype, and all my fr oh, how can you not like Pirates of the Caribbean? Oh. So the second one comes out, um, which was Dead Man's Chest. Dead Man's yeah. Chest, okay. right. Dead Man's Chest comes out. Everybody in the, my group of friends wants to go see Dead Man's Chest. And I go, okay, all right. I've, I've, I, I begrudgingly respect and like the first film. I'll go see the second <laughs> sure. one. The second one left me absolutely cold. Yeah, I thought empty. it was heartless. Bone dry. soul to it. I just didn't care. I left the third one alone. I just completely turned away from the third one. I finally see the third one on cable. I have months and months after it came out. And the first time I saw the third one... I was sort of blown away by the sheer size and scope of the film, but I thought it was just completely overblown and loud and and just in your face. And the funny thing is, is over time, 
I began to really respect the third film because from a production standpoint, it's one of the biggest, most logistically amazing things I've ever seen. But over time, I, I feel like the third film amped it up so high that I couldn't take it all in in one viewing. And over multiple viewings, I've really come to enjoy the third film. Now, I will agree, you either buy the whole storyline and you buy the whole big stinking mess, or you don't. Yeah. But the third film for me came to work. It, be, it came to be... There's a couple of films that I watch repeatedly for their epic coolness and their weirdness and their problems. One of those is Peter Jackson's King Kong. Love it and hate it at the same time. Waterworld. Love yeah. it and hate it at the same oh, time. I agree a whole 100%. Uh, and then at World's End, same thing. There are things about the movie that are just so unbelievably cool, and there are things about the movie that I constantly, wow, how would I have done that? How should they have done that? What could they have done differently? What, Interesting. So it's almost become sort of like a, uh, uh, a study piece for me. <laughs> to figure out what I could and could do, and what you of the things I thought I would do. never hear during yeah. this review, <laughs> yeah. the latter films becoming a study piece. Wow, yeah. and we'll definitely get to that more inside the franchise bit. Wow, that that one wowed me there. <laughs> wow. So we come to the part of the two guys talking perspective review of Pirates of the Caribbean: The Curse of the Black Pearl, where we rate this movie. Gail, where are you on Curse of the Black Pearl? Sheer entertainment value on this one was striking for me. I, I had fun. I loved the effects. It was nostalgic for me, like mm-hmm. I said before. Sure. It kind of took me back to, to going to Disney World. And so I'd, I'd give it a seven. Despite the problems that I have with the film, it ultimately was old-fashioned entertainment. Mm-hmm. And that is to be commended. I think too many people in Hollywood try to step up the pace and reinvent the wheel and spin it faster and faster. These guys slowed it down and did it old school. And for that, I give them a six. Six. Which, which is actually a pretty solid number from me. Very few things are going to get a ten out of me. Seven standard, so six. Yeah, I totally so get it. Yep. I, I give it a good solid, solid six. Sure, sure. David? I am a huge fan of, of the swashbuckle, and I'm also a huge fan of good broad physical comedy, which you wouldn't guess from having listened to other podcasts from me. But <laughs> one of my favorite films of all time is The Princess Bride. And though this film had ten times the budget, I'm sure, and was much, much, much longer, it, it kind of had that feel. There was a, 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 an undercurrent of swashbuckling adventure, and there was also beats of comedy throughout the entire thing, almost a wink and a nod to the audience in a lot of places. Um, so for those things, I, I enjoyed the film. It was overly long. It was mildly repetitive. Um, there were a couple of things that dragged me out of the situation. I, I quite frankly think they could have done without the entire zombie subplot. Overall, it was it was good. I remember sitting down in the theater and eating my popcorn and leaving with a smile, and I give it a 7. Finding the number for these things, for those of you that remember our previous reviews for the second and third film, I gave both of them two gold doubloons, and that was out of five. So different scale, different time, different people reviewing the movies, completely different flavor. This one got me fresh. I was ready to watch this film. There were all kinds of reasons for me to not like it, and I ended up liking it for many of the same reasons that you guys talked about, but I think most importantly because they were able to take little tech things that had nothing to do with tech but that were a prop of some kind and establish some sort of value to them so the compass the uh the the dress uh, the actual physical sets but also the relationships of people inside the film that you would have thought why are they giving time to that i never thought that i never thought that about any of the relationships the one that comes to mind the most 
is the two stupid guards. I thought they were great. And usually I would be destroying a scene like that. I'm like, well, can't we just get on the boat and drive or sail? And I sail. (laughs) Well, why can't we just get to that part? And I didn't do that inside of this. I actually listened and I enjoyed those interactions. And that's what I know a movie's got me. And so the movie that got me here, Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl, eight. An eight of ten. It's one that I can go back to. It's one that I know other people like, like your friends, that absolutely require you to go and see the next one. I like this movie a lot. This is one that can be thrown in, especially in the Blu-ray presentation. Again, the the spark of this review, I think, was absolutely the the Blu-ray presentation of this film because it is... Striking, to steal your word. And so we're wondering what you thought of Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl. Let us know what you think by going to our website at twoguystalking.com. Click the contact button on the top right-hand side of the page. Fill out the quick web form and let us know how many gold doubloons this had out of 10 for you via the Two Guys Talking podcast. The franchise. Something that we're doing inside of Perspective Reviews. Uh, I love this as well because it allows us to speak specifically about the sequels that I almost hate. And so uh, what what do we see as a franchise? And what we need to try and do, too, is we know that there are two and three and now four and potentially five uh, of these films coming. Uh, Let's forget all that for now. Let's finish walking out of this or you in your living room when you were done with the DVD and envision what you thought of the franchise then. I agree with you that after I saw the first film, I didn't see franchise written all over that. I thought they told the story. I I thought they'd... You talk about the props and the things, the two characters, the two dumb uh, guards. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of the things in the first film were so minor. I mean, they were entertaining or take them or leave them. There were some things that were so minor in the first film that were brought back in the second film and featured so prominently and featured again and again and again, um, I was just astonished at how much some of that stuff came back to haunt us, if you will. Yeah, yeah, finishing the first film, the last thing I imagined, uh, and I can't remember if by the time I saw it on DVD they had announced the other films being made. I don't think so. But when I heard of it, my my initial reaction was, meh. Oh, they're making sequels to Pirates of the Caribbean. Meh. Fair. Gail? I, have to, I think I have to agree with you, too. I don't know that walking out of the theater, I would have... I have imagined. to tell you how elated I am that I'm not the only one. <laughs> I thought I was going to get in here and I like, my God, Mike, you're an idiot. Well, Can't believe you didn't so know there was well, going to be another one. There was a finality to it. Right. So, yeah. yeah, so you didn't go... I mean, you know, so many movies you see, they're left open that, oh, when's the sequel coming out? This wasn't that. This one, it closed the story and... and you felt like, okay, I watched the whole film. The the Lord of the Rings, was it the end of the first one? Granted, I knew the Lord of the Rings was a trilogy going into mm-hmm. it. But you one of yeah. them ended. This, the first one ended, and I'm like, wait, that that's the end? Because it was so right. open. Yeah. Where with this, I felt that closure, that, okay, good. That's, Thank that's you. A, the the good. story that's done. Good. It's yeah. a really, really tough thing because if you stop and think about some of the, the most popular and, and well-liked films of the last 20 or 30 years, let's even talk about, like, Star Wars. Mm-hmm. If they'd never made another Star Wars film, Star Wars is a perfect wrapped-up little package yeah, with a absolutely. bow. And then you get to Empire Strikes Back, which is probably one of the best sequels ever. Yeah. But Empire Strikes Back ends very differently. Yeah. It ends with a bit of a cliffhanger. And then The Matrix. I didn't need a sequel to The Matrix. No, I'm with you. Here comes number two, and it's an entirely different film. Back to the Future. Even with Back to the Future ending 
with an open end sure. where the DeLorean flies off again into the future, you come to number two, and it's a very... Very, Very different, different kind yeah. of film. You, you, you had mentioned the little things that pay off inside of later films. And I almost instantly said, you mean the Back to the Future effect? Because that's exactly what it is. Yeah. The difference is that Back to the Future pays off things in gold. Pirate well, gold. Back to the Future. There's something. Here's another one of these filmmaker things that I obsess about. I learned the hard way that you can't tell a story and you can't make a film based on tiny little details. I mean, you can't. I've learned the hard way that, okay, I want this to mean something, so I'm going to put it in the background of a shot. Or I want people to get this this detail, so I'm going to, this character is going to pick up this pen and play with it during the shot, and then that way you'll know the pen means something. No. If it's not said, if it's not zeroed in on and made a point to an audience, an audience doesn't absorb, doesn't absorb it. So... You can put details into a scene. You can put stuff in the background, but it can't. That can't be crucial to the plot because half the people will never notice what never it is you're it trying right. to do. Right. Pirates of the Caribbean to me does that. There's so much stuff in that film that when I saw the sequels, I was like, "Really? You're referencing that? You're bringing those two stupid guards back? Really? You mean you mean the compass is like the center point of half the plot now?" Good lord! Yeah, you you spent all that time talking about bootstrap because you were going to bring them back. I, did they or did they not know they were going to do this? The Back to the Future films don't do that, right? They, they don't. Broad strokes, well, uh, yeah, but broad yeah. strokes that actually connect. Yes, I mean like yeah. like as if they were made originally, but they weren't. Yes. They really took their time yeah. out on that. And, and there are details in the Back to the Future films that come back in echoes, but not because they're essential to your comprehension. If you get them, great. If you don't, fine. The, the Pirates films are not like that. You better know, you better have your cliff notes out for the first film. When you go into the second ones, you better, because you're going to get every character, every plot device. I think every that's detail. what I don't like about them. Yeah. So I was just going to yeah. ask that. So if, if I walked into the second film, because honestly I haven't seen the second and third films in their entirety, mm-hmm. if I walked into the second Pirates film not having seen the first one, you would be lost. lost. Would, you would you? Be lost. Oh, yeah. okay. lost. You would be lost. Yeah, yeah, part of the problem with the second and third Pirates film, I won't get into the Back to the Future because I have a horribly different take than the mainstream <laughs> of society. There, there's very evil, dark undercurrents in that film. There's, a, oh another, there's another universe to be explored. What, what happened to the other Marty? What happened to the Marty that left Lone Pine Malls? Where did he go? You know where he went? He went to the other Marty's crappy world is where he went. Anyway, so in the pirate films, they made these sequels, and they made them horribly dependent on the first one, not just, hey, remember these characters? We're going to do a different story with them. They made them horribly dependent on the first film, and if you thought the first film was overly long, the second and third film were one eight-hour film. I mean, they really, really, when the second movie ends, it's like, oh, can you please have just finished this story? Please, am I going to have to sit through another three hours of this? Wonderful special effects, brilliant cast, everybody did a great job, Jack Sparrow doing his thing, but the second and third movies were just heavy, heavy, heavy works. When you say that, I'm reminded of a a new restaurant that we went to last week for lunch. Oh my goodness. We went to this place, it's, it's called It's a Better Burger, and I cannot possibly discount it. I mean, the burgers were awesome. Didn't you take a picture of one of your Yes. Okay. Smartass over here bothers to let me walk up to the menu and there's no pictures on the menu which is great and it's short it's like i don't know there's 15 things total okay i'm like oh no not even that single burger double burger basket of fries you know and i'm hungry i haven't had breakfast so i'm like "Mm, um hey how's it going uh i'll I'll go with the uh the double burger with cheese and bacon plain 
Just the, just the cheese and the bacon and the meat. Yeah, okay. And uh, how about um, you know, a small fry, a small drink? And, of course, asinine over here is going. Yeah, because I had been there the day before and had made that mistake. The, the patties here are post-cooked weight half pound. Wow. Post-cooked weight. So, you know, you're talking, you know, twice the size of a hockey puck in thickness and in, and in girth. <laughs> and so I'm like, I'm like, when I ordered the half pound, I, I couldn't eat the burger. I had to eat, like, part of the bottom and then part of the top. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I just cannot wait to see Mike try and put this <laughs> in his mouth. It's going to be awesome. And that is exactly how I felt with the second and third films. which I, It doesn't make me dread the fourth film, but it definitely makes me go... You know, I think I'll take the single. <laughs> I'll take the baby burger. Yeah. Can I have the baby version of Pirates 4? Is that possible? Wouldn't it be just stunning if the fourth film is... 93 under, minutes. Under two hours. Yeah, that would be great. <laughs> Wouldn't that be shocking? That would be great if they made it like... Yeah. Well, if they went back to the days of yore like they did with some of their tropes and, and, and styles that they used in the first yeah. film especially and said, you know what? Films are supposed to be about 90 minutes, so why don't we just do that? Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, have you that's, seen the list of the people in this movie? Yeah, I mean, and most of these people are, probably have writers in their contract that oh, says, I must be in at time. least, I, I am, must be in the film at least 60 minutes. So I am going to go back to, you You laughed earlier when I called At World's End a study piece. Yeah, yes, But absolutely. there are some films, some really, really amazing films and some really, really horrible films that I encourage filmmakers to study. For the logistics. Um, one film every filmmaker needs to go back and study is The Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. It's this huge, sprawling film that took them about eight or nine months to make, shot on multiple continents, shot on an actual glacier in Norway, shot on sound stages in England. Just yeah. this massive, sprawling film. And uh, just how they made it and the stuff they had to go through is just really interesting to study. There's a great making of The Technology Empire Strikes Back Technology they had to create book. to yeah. make the movie. And that, I think, is a fine example of that technology all coming to fruition to create this really beautiful motion picture. Another film, you're going to laugh out loud, but another film that I think is pretty amazing to study is uh, Batman and Robin. And the reason I say Batman That's and Robin... That's it. You're gone. Yeah, I know. Batman Cut and the Robin, tape. What a huge scale, amazing film that's bad. Yeah. And it's really horribly bad. gone awry. But you know how I know it's bad? I don't remember what happened in it except yeah. that it's bad. But That's there are what some scenes in there of scope and effects that I think it would be interesting for some filmmakers to take a look at, not looking at it from a filmmaking, <laughs> from a s- s- solid standpoint. At World's End, there are some scenes in that film that scene at the end where the two boats are caught in the big whirlpool, whirlpool firing cannons. And they and... built two full-size boats on a, on a, on a rotating platform on this enormous soundstage and coated everything with blue screen and actually had these guys swinging back and yeah. forth between these boats. Wow. I mean, that is just like the high yeah. end of high end filmmaking. Sure. Does it make for good movies? That's up to individual debate. But there, like I said, there are technical things in that movie and just the level of detail in some of those action well, scenes. That goes, to, that goes to what you were saying about Waterworld, which we can all admit is a really horrible sure. film. But the the atoll, they, yes, they the, built that. Every atoll s- battle sequence is yeah, magnificent th- every in a single horrible thi- film. <laughs> every single thing in that film is, you know, yeah. real usable stuff. They, they literally went and found real-world items yeah. and, and said, well, how can I use this? In the future to do this, I really, I the 
that part of the movie I think is incredibly stunning. I, I love that part of the film. You you made a point earlier about the real effects work that was done in Curse of the Black the Pearl. Stunts yeah. and the, the stunts and the swinging practical, around. Right. And, stuff. Practical and I must say it feels to me like for part two and part three they continued the tradition of doing as much physical as they could. And even in part three, as just digitally processed as that movie is, yeah. there's still, there's guys swinging on ropes, and right. Bill Nighy is still in those scenes, and they CGI'd over his face sure. later, but he's still there, he's still, there, he's right. still acting, and people what? are still fighting with swords. And so. providing gold performance. Yes. Th- th- that's yeah. what, I think that's what really disturbs me about, and as we're, again, talking about the franchise here, that's what disturbs me is that there is solid gold performance going on in that yeah. film. Yeah. You get to the part with the giant whirlpool. I'm telling you, it's epic. It's my, yes. uh, yeah. but it's too damn long. Yes, you're it's, so far along, and it's like, oh, I've got to go to the bathroom yeah, or something. They, they all pull up just short of three hours. Yeah, I, I think and, Curse of the Black Pearl is the short film. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I, I think that that's something that I hope that they truly re- revisit as the next edition of the Pirates of the Caribbean on, on Stranger, Stranger Tides. Tides. I would revisit that title, but that's me. (laughs) (laughs) As On Stranger Tides comes here in May of 2011, we're continuing with our perspective reviews, building the nostalgia engine via two guys talking. And again, we're wondering what you thought of this film and the franchise. Make sure you go to our website at twoguystalking.com, click on the contact button at the top right-hand side of the page, fill out the quick web form, and let us know what you thought. How many gold doubloons did this film and the others deserve? Again, I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. I'm Wyatt Weed. <laughs> I'm Gail Gallagher. And I'm David Creech, your other host. Remember, you can listen to this and all of our other podcast reviews, both perspective and regular feature film reviews, as well as a bunch of television review, which is where we started, over at twoguystalking.com. Have a great evening. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Two Guys Talking Show. We hope you'll tell your friends and co-workers about us, and don't forget to put us on your podcast list. As always, you can visit and contact us online at twoguystalking.com. That's the number, twoguystalking.com. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.